0: Uh, sportsnet.ca, we're getting to that time of year, Pat. Um, uh, looks around the division, division previews, that sort of stuff. Uh, our pal Ryan Dixon, writer for sportsnet.ca, has been going through the NHL divisions, going up with the biggest unanswered question for each team in each division today. Earlier this morning, well, on this Friday, he released uh, biggest unanswered question for each team. Every time, every time. I don't care if you're well, trying see, to... See, you, you took a second. I didn't know if it was actually going to happen or not. Okay, Let's continue
1: with Ryan Dixon. Yes, I read the article.
0: Previously. Yes, it's great. It's a good article. It's a fun way for you to catch up on maybe some of the teams that you haven't uh, paid attention to this offseason and what's still to come. You know, we talked about the Trevor Zegers, Jamie Drysdale contracts in Anaheim. Yep. Uh, Edmonton got most of their work done with the Evan Bouchard one, but there's still some interesting ones. And the Calgary Flames, what I found was really interesting because I'm curious where you stand on this. I'm curious where the text line stands on this because my position has kind of changed over the last couple of weeks as we got closer to training camp. And Ryan has on his article for the Calgary Flames, the biggest question set for the Calgary Flames is, what's the over-under on major trades made by Calgary before camp starts? And he's got it at, at half so zero point five yep. trades made before training camp. Go so over under half. Is is there, there so going to be one more, trade? Is there
1: going to be one or more or none?
0: And the reason I say that is because my opinion on this has changed. We're so close to training camp at this point. I'm almost at the the point, Pat, where I would be surprised if we did see a major trade before training camp happens because. At this point in the season, I feel like so many GMs have done the most of their business that's going to get done. Again, we keep bringing it up, but it's a reality of where the Flames sit, at least in this season, is the flat cap was a thing again this year. There's just not a lot of money out there for teams to spend. And I think unless somebody surprises me, I think a lot of the GMs that we're talking about that might be interested in Noah Hannafin or St. Elias Lindholm are going to be okay going into training camp, or maybe even the early part of the season as you've laid out a couple times on Flamestock over the last couple of weeks to at least look at what they have, right, and then make a decision there because you've set yourselves up. Most teams by now have their, you know, say 20 to 21-man rosters for the most part set. They know who's going to come in and, and battle at training camp. So, I'm starting to feel more and more like we'll use Noah Hannafin as the biggest one because I think his situation is the clearest. I'm starting to feel like that's not going to be something that gets dealt with before training camp, and I'm curious if you feel the same way now.
1: Of uh so so if I were to if I were to go over half a trade, it would be the Hannafin trade that I think is the most likely to get done because I just I believe that's the one that the Flames are grinding on the most. Um, and I think that's the one that the team is actively working on the most right now. Not to say that, you know, they're only working on that and not to say that they're they're not taking calls or, or putting calls out there for other players and all that. I, I, I think Craig Conroy remains very busy and I think that he continues to, to try to get business done. But I think because Hannafin is the one that we're all very convinced that is going to get traded at some point, and is not going to be back beyond this season, I still think there is a chance that that gets done between now and the start of training camp. And I don't think it's a strong chance, but of all the ones that I think could get done, I still think it's the one that could. But if I were to, if I were to lean, I still think that it's an in-season trade now. Because, as you mentioned, it's August 25th, um, and we're what three weeks from Penticton or four weeks from training camp or uh, like less than 50 days from puck drop on the start of the regular season. So it just seems like you don't usually see trades in training camp. You don't usually see trades right now. And it just feels like with as many teams in cap trouble and the Oilers are just joined the group yesterday as another team over the salary cap. It it feels like it feels like it's more likely that that gets done sometime in season. But it's the, it's still the one that if you were to say, what is the biggest chance of getting done before camp, I still think it's Hannafin.
0: Yeah, because that situation is still the clearest to us, right? I think we don't, at least from my perspective, I don't think we have a clear answer on Hannafin. And I, I think everything we've heard from Backlund is he's open to staying if the situation presents itself as a good one for him in Calgary to remain a contender. But we don't know that until we get to a certain point in the season. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's fair to say that the Hannafin situation is by far the one that we know the most about and the one that we know how it's going to end. But when I think becomes it, because you look, we always get into training camp. We talked about this last year, Pat. Remember when we had, we were talking about 10, 8, Bodies in training camp for the Calgary Flames And their decor And how that was all going to shake out I I still think that happens And I still think if you're an NHL GM Obviously I think Noah Hannafin's the best option out there But do waivers play into things? Do you say, hey I'm going to wait a couple weeks into training camp See if somebody doesn't pop up Through waivers uh, From another team that I might be interested in bringing in here And not having to cost myself any sort of asset. Because we see that all the time, and I think the biggest example of that is, in a different sense than the Hanover trade, but Yusuf Alamaki. Right. Right? There's a guy that, albeit didn't have a ton of success in Calgary, was a very interesting option that came out over the waiver wire that maybe people weren't expecting to be there, and I think we get a couple of those every year. So, yeah, I just, I'm with you. I wouldn't be surprised if something happened, it, like I'm not ruling it out It just feels like the as the days Tick closer to all of those things that you Mentioned I, I just wonder How many GMs are just going to say hey I, I want to At least see what I've got once we get To the ice because we're only X amount Of days from that happening
1: Now the the way that I could See a team like the the Circumstance that I could see a team making A trade for one of Calgary's uh, Players that, that seemed like Would be on the block It would be a team that has cap room and, and can easily fit it in right now. And I mean, I think Noah Hannafin is in the top four defense on any team in the NHL. And on most teams, he's probably a top pairing guy. Um, and, and I think the teams that, could fit him in cap-wise between now and the start of training camp, he'd be a top pairing guy on their team. And so it's it's that type of circumstance that I wonder about. And it's, it goes back to the two teams that I've got my eye most focused on, and that's Detroit and Buffalo as teams that I think you could still see Buffalo make a move between now and training camp because – Noah Hannafin will come in and be in their top pair or be one of their clear top two-pair defensemen. And, and the Sabres are very much in need of, as much as they've got Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin, and they are set when it comes to their two young studs. You add another player like Hannafin, and now all of a sudden the Sabres look that much more formidable in terms of getting back to the playoffs for the first time in a decade. And Detroit, I know they went out and they brought in... Um, who did they just bring in? It ben Sherath? Um... Jeff Petrie? Who did they just bring in? Petrie. Petrie. Thank you. Um, I know, that's right, they got Petrie on a cut-rate deal, and they got him. Um, I know Detroit just brought in Petrie, but again, Hennepin's better than most guys on that blue line outside of Moritz Sider, right? So, the Red Wings probably could still bring him in before training camp, and it, it wouldn't really matter. Whereas, I think there are a lot of other teams that would be more of the contending variety teams that I think want to see the way camp goes, the way the preseason goes and the way the start of the season goes, because once the season is underway and I don't know why I keep using Tampa Bay as an example, maybe it's because Tampa has been so good for so long and finally dropped off in the playoffs last year and didn't win around. But let's say Tampa, who has gone to three of the last four Stanley cup finals, say the, the lightning get off to a three, seven and two start and, all of a sudden, you're like, geez, Tampa is limping out of the gates, and they they clearly feel like, and Julian Brisebois feels like they need to do something. Well, then all of a sudden, maybe it's a call to Craig Conroy, and it's, hey, we, we really think Noah Hannafin is the guy that'll help us get things back on track. We're willing to part with asset A and B. Can we get something done? Or Boston- doesn't go and make a move for a center between now and training camp and they realize, geez, we are way we, we thought we were gonna be able to piecemeal this together and be okay, but you know, our month of October was a nightmare. We won two games in regulation and one in a shootout in, in October. It's like, geez, we are we're in way worse shape than we thought we were gonna be. Let's call the flames and see if now we can get a Lindholm deal done. That that's the way that I see it happening for more of a contending variety team. Teams that are very much in the over the cap or tight to the cap window.
0: Well, okay. So, first thing that I, I would say that I think you bring up Tampa Bay is an interesting one because Tampa Bay's been aggressive in filling needs, right? Maybe more so compared to any team in the last three or four years. I think Colorado has picked up on that and that helped them to a Stanley Cup in that time as well. Is that, look, sometimes you got to be aggressive and go out and make these moves to make your team better. Tampa Bay's never been shy about doing that well, they feel they're in a cup contending window. Yep. And you got to respect it. I love I love teams saying, hey, look, we've got a Stanley Cup winning team. I'm going to go out. Pittsburgh's
1: and... done the same thing. Exactly.
0: So I think that that fits your, your point really well. The Buffalo one is really interesting to me because they just dealt Labushkin to Anaheim. And you mentioned the young defense that they have with Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin. If you look at the way that they're set up right now, they have a chance to be and look, Noah Hannafin's by no means old, but they have a chance to be very, very young in their top four and to bring in a guy with Noah Hannafin's experience who's been playing since he was eighteen in the NHL. He's
1: almost got six hundred NHL. It's unbelievable games under how his long
0: belt. he's actually played for. Because you look at it, Darlene is still twenty three. Matthias Samuelson twenty three. Power is twenty. Yep. Uh Henry Yogikaru Yogi Haru. Haru. 24 years old all of a sudden you know maybe Eric Johnson has lost a bit of a step right maybe you're not comfortable playing playing Connor Clifton in your top four with one of those young guys does Noah Hanovan not fit in nicely as a guy that's got a lot of experience and can easily pair with whichever one of those guys you want to put up whether it's power or, or Dahlin and again 100%. not old by any means but also has a lot of experience on both of those guys and you're not depending. I think I think there's always that fear sometimes in pairing young defensemen together like that. The inexperience sometimes gets to guys and Noah doesn't have that problem, right? He's still 26 years old. So he's got a couple of years on those guys, but the, the games played experience, what you bring up, is clearly to me what would entice a team like Buffalo. And they've got they've got plenty of cap space. They have no RFAs, no UFAs left to deal with. They've got over $8 million in cap space. They just added another high-end prospect to their prospect pool, which is already one of the deepest in the NHL. Sure feels like a team that has the pieces to make that work and probably has the need too. Well, and like all of a
1: sudden, can you imagine how dynamic a pairing? I know they're both left shots, but Darlene's played his offside before a lot. Yep. All of a sudden Hannafin and Daleen as a D pairing. That's a pretty dynamic looking and that that shelters Owen Power. I believe
0: Power's played both sides. Yeah, before Power too. Power
1: can play both sides as well. Yep. Um I think for a 20 year old, you'd probably more comfortable having him on a strong side. Yeah, you right? probably
0: want him on the left.
1: And Ra- Rasmus Dalin's turned into an all-world defenseman. Like he has he I know that it didn't pop as a number one overall pick like other guys did, but he's turning into a guy that looks like a number one overall selection over the last number of years. I don't know. It's just and, and Hannafin's not the only guy that I think Buffalo would be after. I just feel like the Sabres and the Red Wings are in almost identical situations where they've had this, you know, Detroit had their 25 years of making the playoffs, the Sabres haven't, and they've had a much longer drought. But both teams under this current management regime uh, with Kevin Adams in Buffalo and Steve Eiserman in Detroit have had a little bit of time. And, you know, I, I give Adams a lot of credit for the way that he navigated the uh, Jack Eichel situation, and he turned that into a win in what could have easily been an L for them, and and they got a couple of really important players. And he has drafted well, they've developed well, and now all of a sudden they've got some, they've got a budding superstar in Tage Thompson, they've got Dylan Cousins, they've got Peyton Krebs. Matt Savoy. And now all of a sudden on the blue line you're Benson. talking about Dallin and Power. Like, they have got a nucleus of players. And I don't think there's any doubt that in that market, which all of a sudden feels excited about the Sabres for the first time in a long time. And I will, I will, um, argue with anybody. There is not a better atmosphere in the NHL than a Sabres game. When Buffalo is good, like they, they love that team in that market. And when, when that team is good, when they're scoring, when they are uh, a factor, they're a they're a really really fun team to watch in an atmosphere that you know can you you can get into sabers games pretty easily so i just i think it's time for buffalo to to take that next step and so with the cap space they have and the players that they've got under contract right now i i think it's time for kevin adams to pounce and and make his team maybe for the first time be making right now moves and i think it's really not that different in Detroit where Iserman has had the Iser plan for however long. And we can all talk about whether it's been a good plan or a bad plan, but it's, it's taken some time to get to the point where they're more competitive than they ever have been under Iserman. And now Sider and Raymond are a few years into their career. And it's time for these teams to take that step back into the post season. So I think both general managers are, in a spot where they're more interested in acquiring established NHL talent to help them right now. And, you know, for two young teams, Noah Hannafin, as you mentioned, is by no means old. So you're bringing in a guy that helps you right now, makes you instantly better, and is still 26 years old.
0: And let's be honest, too, for teams that are probably looking to extend him, he's an East Coast guy, right? He's a Boston guy, so he's not... If that matters to Noah a lot, I don't know how much it does, but if it's, you know, part of talking an extension with them to say, hey, we're not far from Boston and, you know, your family and friends out on the East Coast, you need to be a lot closer than you were in Calgary. How does an extension sound just as we start to turn the corner as a franchise and look to get into a window of contention? Because I think that matters to a lot of guys. I think we saw Bradshaw Living operate like that in Calgary for a very long time, that sort of asset certainty going forward when he acquires players, right? Like, and have some term or at least some certainty that you can get some term on guys. And because I think a lot of teams operate with, you know, the sense of, well, he's a pending UFA. I don't want to take the chance on a one-year rental sort of thing before I know what he is this season. I think Detroit and Buffalo would both make a good case to uh, to a guy like Noel Hannafin that, that re-signing makes a lot of sense to them. Well,
1: and Hannafin on a one-year deal or with one year left on his deal, they've got a huge decision to make at the end of this season on raz- – or, or- – they, they can make it at any time, but Erasmus Dahlien's got one year left on his deal, and he's going to turn into one of the... He, he'll be that next guy in the Adam Fox, Kale McCarmero, Haskin in conversation in terms of, you know, really highly paid defensemen. So now you've got... You you give yourself some flexibility where you've got a bunch of players expiring so that if you want to also sign Hannafin to an extension, if he's willing to do that, the Sabres give themselves some flexibility with the way their cap works out. We'll see it just it feels like a team like that is the type of team that might be able to get a deal done before training camp but if it's more of a clear contender one of those teams that is clearly up against the cap yeah i think it probably has to be until the, the season's underway and
0: see, even even as you say that if i was buffalo i could make a case for kevin adams and the coaching staff saying let's see what a couple of the young guys look like in training camp and then we'll give craig a call right if 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 one of those guys that i talked about besides Dalene and, and Power, Yokiharu and, and Samuelson, if one of those guys don't prove to be a good fit or you think they need to be lowered down on your depth pairing, then I can understand, too, why you might want to sit there and say, hey, I want to see a couple of weeks with these guys in training camp. Let us see what they look like, and then we'll give you a call in a couple of weeks' time. It's going to be fascinating because I think one way or the other, we're going to have a lot of training camp storylines with these guys potentially being in camp. And I still think to your point, as we've talked about this entire conversation, there's a chance that before anything, before we hit the ice here in Calgary for our first training camp session under Ryan Huska, there's still a chance for all of this to change as well. So uh it's interesting time for the Calgary flames. We're inching closer towards Penticton training camp under Ryan Huska. First under Craig Conroy, all of that yep. uh, among a number of storylines and, uh, you know the questions will be asked for guys like Michael Backlund, Noah Hannafin, and Elias Lindholm if they are indeed members of the Calgary Flames once that time rolls around. He's Pat Steinberg. I'm Logan Gordon. We are here in the Doug Lacey's Basin Systems downtown studios for Sportsnet today. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Week 12 of the CFL season kicked off last night with the Blue Bombers dominating the Montreal Alouettes, and now the Calgary Stampeders have a challenge of their own taking on the Toronto Argonauts. We'll dive into the Stamps and the Argos next. The Sportsnet Today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Week 12 of the CFL season continues tonight in Toronto. The 7-1 Argos taking on the 3-7 Calgary Stampeders. CFL week kicked off last night with a beatdown in Winnipeg. 47-17, the Blue Bombers over the Montreal Alouettes. Montreal offense only able to muster a single field goal. If not for two pick sixes thrown by Zach Kalaros, this one would have been much uglier for the Montreal Alouettes. And now the Stampeders uh and Argos take the spotlight tonight. The lone loss on the season for Ryan Dinwiddie and the Toronto Argonauts came earlier this month at McMahon Stadium against these stampeders slogan Gordon Pat Steinberg along with you in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios with Cam and Taylor producers this afternoon uh Pat this is a big game feel for a number of reasons for the Calgary stampeders an interesting depth chart which sees a number of changes at receiver for Jake Mayer once again uh a bit of a demotion and perhaps um Looking for more from Trey Odom's Dukes. Yeah, definitely been put to the, seems like a message being sent yeah, there. Uh, Tommy Lee Lewis injured. He's out of the lineup, but we get uh, the likes of Cole Tucker back in the lineup. Markeith Ambles gets a chance to take on his former team. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier when we chatted with Patty Dumont on hour one uh, about the Stampeders. But you and me have kind of talked about this as well. You lose tonight if you're the Stampeders. Edmonton picks up a win on Sunday potentially against Ottawa. And all of a sudden, games that you and me have already dubbed must win on Labor Day and the Labor Day rematch in Edmonton become so much more important for the Stampeders team because you have a chance, if you lose those games, to find yourself behind Edmonton in the standings. who started off 0-9. Well,
1: and and even, even if Edmonton does not beat Ottawa, and who knows how that plays out, um... Regardless, this is a situation where if the Stamps don't win this game, those two Labor Day games or the Labor Day game and the rematch, they take on way more importance than they should against potentially a one-win opponent. Like Honestly, even if the Elks stay at one win and the Stamps don't find a way to upset the Argos tonight, it is a very, very... It is way too important, and those two games against Edmonton are far too meaningful for a team that could have one loss. That's that's the situation the Stampeders have put themselves in, and it's even more dire, you're right, if Edmonton ends up upsetting Ottawa, or I don't even know if that would be an upset, but if Edmonton ends up beating Ottawa and Calgary doesn't pick up a win over Toronto, this... I don't know if this has a big game feel for the rest of the league. Like, I don't know if you're circling this one, Calgary-Toronto. This is a marquee matchup. But I think for a Stampeder standpoint, if you're a Stamps fan, you're like, this is starting to get into not quite, but pretty close to must-win territory here for Calgary. They're, They're starting to run out of time. They're halfway through the season, and they're behind the eight ball. Now, luckily, there's a lot of other mediocre football teams in the CFL this year, so that helps them stay... Relevant and helps them stay in it. But yeah, this is a big, big test for them.
0: The thing that worries me the most is another subpar performance tonight offensively, or we see a lot of penalties from the Stampeders. Is Pat, and I know you've picked up on this too, but I can't remember the last time that Dave Dickinson, as in his tenure as head coach, has stressed things as much to not see the result. Happen on the field. They, he's talked about urgency from this offense for weeks, and we still haven't seen it. He's talked about taking less penalties uh, you know uh, as the game goes on. That hasn't happened for this team. They keep making a lot of the same mistakes. and again, I just I need to see some of that urgency tonight and look, I, I mentioned those two changes at receiver. Your best, one of your best running backs, is out again. Kadim Carey's dealing with a mm-hmm. quad injury; he won't play. And by the way, Bryce Bell, your starting left tackle, uh, who's going to help a lot against your former defensive end in Falarino Alvarado, is not playing tonight. And that just means less time for Jake Mayer. It means probably, you know, a, a difference in the running blocking scheme for Dietrich Mills out there. This Stampeders team, I don't care what the combination is at this point, that, that urgency word that Dave's been stressing, I'd like to see some of it pop in tonight because it just felt too stale for me the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, there's there there's a lot that would suggest this is an uphill climb for the Stampeders or that this is a, a pretty formidable test for them. They've got uh, the best team in the CFL or... I. I mean look the way Winnipeg's played over the last little bit the, the, the Bombers are right there in that conversation again um, but you've got a you've got an Argos team that is deep and stacked across the board you've got a healthy Argos team and you've got a beat up Stampeder's team that is already struggling for the first time in ages Time for a Stampeders quarterback has been an issue all year, and now you lose your starting left tackle, as you mentioned, going up against one of the best defensive fronts in the CFL. Like, there's there's a lot to suggest that the Stampeders are in tough. I have not seen the latest line, but I, I... Ten and a half. Yeah, like, I understand it. Now, I think the Stamps have played pretty close football all year long, specifically because of the way their defensive group plays. I think that they've got it in them to cover that ten and a half, but it is going to be tough to beat that Argos team. Now, there's no home field advantage in Toronto, so that helps. But yeah, this like that's a really good football team the, the, the going up fair against is the there or New Whatever,
0: Pat the C.N.E. The CNE's there? Or I believe be... they call it the X now. Uh, yeah, I think it's still the C.N.E. I think the Stampeders like Instagram or Twitter posted through the C.N.E. But whatever, should be a, should be a big game feel, man. It's right there. Probably not.
1: I believe it's called the X, uh, but... That's yes. Twitter. It's now, uh, it's like the kids calling it. It's like Canadian National Ex- Exhibition, but now it's the X. Wow. I believe that's what it's called. That's the word on the
0: street, eh? That's all I got. That's <laughs> all I got. <laughs> um, yeah, look, this is... The the problem I've had, even in games where the Stamps... Def- I mean, really, the Ottawa game was the one that surprised me the most from this Peters team. My biggest worry with the defense in a game like tonight, Pat, isn't necessarily they can't match up against the Argos, because I think clearly they can. There's so much talent. Micah Alway and Cam Judge, we've been raving about them all year long. Shaq Richardson's back in a full-time spot uh, playing halfback tonight. Those are all good things, but I-, I just worry about a defense that gets drained as the game goes on because time of possession has been so unbalanced for the Stampeders team. The offense has not gone on those long, sustained drives that get your defense a few minutes to rest and recover, first of all, but it also gives you a chance to make slight adjustments as you're going, a chance to chat with your coaches, hear from you know the guys up in the booth yeah. and, and sort of make those changes because far too often it's been a two-and-out, Pat, and you know in the CFL some of those guys that are playing defense they're playing special teams as well, so you got to hop out there, get onto, uh, you know, punting coverage, go out there and handle it, and get right back to trying to stop Chad Kelly, uh, AJ Willette, Andrew Harris, the list goes on and on, and I just, I worry about how this this defense finds itself late in the game when they've just been out there so much more than the other team's defense has been.
1: Well, and and one of the hallmarks of this Stampeders team over the last number of years has been a ball control offense, right? They've yep. never really been, not to say that, you know, when Bo was at or or near his best, it's not to say they didn't have big plays in them, because they did, because they have those type of players. But strategy-wise, it was a real ball control possession-type game where they wanted to grind opposing defenses down and go on six and seven minute drives. And it wasn't all about taking big shots down the field. It was nine yards there. And, uh, and then a couple of yards and another reset. And it was, it was more about not quite dink and dunk, but it was, it was more about some smaller chunk plays down the field and really eat up the clock. And when they were at their elite best and, and gray cup contending, that's what they did, and for whatever reason, they've had a real problem in being that same type of offense this year, and I know that there's been some dinking and dunking, and I know there's been some short plays, but they have not been able to, they haven't been able to punch things in when it's mattered, which is the most important part of playing that type of football, you've got to be efficient once you're inside 20. And they have not been on, there's been too many drops and too many um, poorly executed plays and turnovers in the end zone that that it really hurts your ability to run that type of offense, which I think is still the way they want to go about it. They just have not been very successful at executing. it.
0: No, and that's got to change. That's got to be, for the Stampeders at a minimum, like we've talked about, the one offensive touchdown for this team in the last three weeks, that came from a, a Tommy Stevens QB rush. Um That's got to change if you want any chance of winning. Because, again, uh, there's talent there. I have no doubt that there's talent there, but you're right. All of those little things, the, you know, I have no problem playing, if you want to call it small ball and working your way down the field and using every down as an opportunity, but far too often, that screen pass or a little quick slant for the Stampeders has resulted in two, three, or sometimes negative yards. And those don't really help you unless you're getting yourself into those second and fives, second and fours, where you can open up the playbook. Anything really, Pat, second seven plus, you know, you're looking for a pretty big play. And the defense knows you're going to be passing the ball. You give the advantage to them. And there's been too much of that from the Stampeders uh This year, if if the stamps do win tonight, Pat, how do you see it happening Um
1: with without question that defense doing the same thing they did last week against Winnipeg is is number one. That's kind of the the first non-negotiable. They've got to they've got to be in Chad Kelly's face. They've got to force him. He's very good at making things happen when he's forced out of the pocket, but they got to make that happen because every quarterback is less accurate and less effective once they're flushed so they've got to they've got to be strong defensively and they've got to play away from the ball very similar to what they did against Winnipeg. Now, the difference is Toronto's got their high-end starting quarterback and Winnipeg didn't last week, but that would be non-negotiable, number one. They have got to limit turnovers. There cannot be points. You cannot give elite football team points. The Stampeders gave six or seven to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers last week. That would be number two. And they've just gotta be a little they don't need to be the most dynamic offense in this game. They just need to be one that is efficient. And if they Opportunistic. can Opportunistic. If if they can have an efficient offense with a defense playing at a high level and that defensive unit playing at the same level they played at last week, they give themselves a chance. But you know, if, if that defense doesn't do that and they're just efficient, they lose the football game. If they're on defensively and they are inept offensively or pedestrian at worst or at best rather offensively they probably lose this game like they a lot of things have to go right and to me it starts with what they do away from the ball again
0: uh away from the stampeders and the argos we kicked off last night in winnipeg uh, a beat down 47 to 17 uh if not for two pick sixes thrown by zach caleros pat this could have been 47 to three yep Uh, Is Winnipeg back on top of the CFL Mountain in your mind? There were some questions a couple weeks ago as to whether or not BC was in that same category. I think Toronto still has an opportunity to make that case, but I don't know. I kind of looked at Winnipeg again last night and was like, yeah that's that's still a pretty damn good team and probably the one to beat.
1: I mean, to me, it's Winnipeg and Toronto, and I still think BC's in that top tier, and I'm really excited for that rubber match between the Lions and the Bombers a little bit later on this season. But right now, the Bombers have things clicking on all cylinders, and they've got... Like that, you could tell there was some rust on Caleros after missing a week, and he he is still at times prone to... He's the best quarterback in the CFL, I believe. As much as I think Chad Kelly has been the best quarterback or the most dynamic player in the first half of the season, I still think the best quarterback in the league he's just is Zach so Caleros. Smart. But sometimes he's prone. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it, it happens a lot when he's feeling it that he'll get a little bit too confident in where he can put a ball and he'll throw it into a spot that you shouldn't throw it in because he's confident that he'll be able to get it to his receiver and he gets picked off. And he got picked off three times last night and the Bombers still ran away with that football game because much like Toronto... Where's the weakness on that Bombers team? They've got the best running back in football. Brady Oliveira, I think, is now up to five or six hundred plus yard games on the year. He's running away with the rushing title. I don't think anybody's going to touch him unless Oliveira gets hurt. They have got just a stupid deep group of receivers, led by Lawler and Schoen and and, Dembski, and, Dembski and Lawler,
0: Schoen, Bailey, Wolatarski. Wolatarski. Like it's it's ridiculous
1: the, the the passing attack they have. They've got an extremely dynamic off, uh, offensive line that. Again, Stanley Bryant leading the way. They are as good as it gets in the league. And then defensively, all they do is make plays. They've got two or three of the best defensive backs in the league. Demario Houston has seven interceptions and leads the league in that regard. They've still got Adam Big Hill making plays up and down the field. And they've got a defensive line that gets after it. And even though um, Jeff Coat and Jefferson are getting a little bit older, I mean... Jackson Jeffcoat still a dynamic player, and Willie Jefferson might be better than he's ever been, and so I don't see weaknesses on this Bombers team, and and that's you know is there special teams? Can it sometimes get him into trouble? Sure, but I don't even know if I look at that as a weak. Now that Leggio's gone and not shanking. It doesn't seconds. even
0: matter when you're up by thirty. So. Um,
1: so yeah, I, uh, I I they they're one of the elite teams in the league. There's a three-team elite tier. And yeah, you could argue pretty easily Winnipeg's on top of that elite tier. It's tough for me to say anybody but Toronto because the last time those two teams played, the Argos took it to them and they only play what the one time this year. And it's not again until like week 18 or whatever it is, which is stupid. But yeah, I still think I still think the Argos are on top of the mountain because they're defending champs, but. I would not be upset at all if we're looking at Winnipeg-Toronto again for the Great Cup.
0: Yeah, and don't look now. Uh, I know BC's still yet to play this week, but uh, Dalton Schoen all of a sudden second in receiving yards in the CFL. Uh, Nick Dembski's found his way up to fourth in the CFL in receiving yards. Schoen's got seven touchdowns on the year, Pat. That's the highest in the league, followed by Nick Dembski at five. Uh, and and that's, no
1: sophomore slump from
0: uh, Dalton Schoen. Nope. Pretty good player. That guy Still is... Don't think he's going to find his way to the NFL.
1: Well, he might. I mean, his contract's up at the end of this year. He worked out for a couple of teams over the summer or the winter, whatever, over the offseason. Um, yeah, I could absolutely see him making his way south of the border. And if he doesn't, to me, there's no doubt he becomes the highest paid receiver in the CFL next year. They, they, It would be hard to see how both Schoen... And Lawler are back in Winnipeg again next year. The, the Part of the reason they were able to go and get Lawler this year was because Sean's still on his rookie deal.
0: Yeah. Uh, that was last night. Again, Friday Night Football is the Stampeders and the Argos at 5.30. Saturday night, Lions and Ticats. And then Sunday, the Elks look to end their ridiculously long home losing streak against the Ottawa Red Blacks. That'll put a bow on uh, Sportsnet today on this Friday afternoon. Thank you, uh, Patty, and to Patrick Dumas for uh, joining us. Thanks to outstanding producers Cam and Taylor. Um, uh, enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening live or on the podcast. We will be back uh, next week. While Flames talk is off Sportsnet today, will continue its rain. Uh, Peter Klein is going to join us. Aaron Vickers is going to be on your airwaves as well. Looking forward to it. Have yourself a great weekend. Flames talk is next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.